Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Chris Jackson. And Fred, we were just going over some of the questions our listeners ask us, and I think you've got a good one for us today. Yeah, no, I hope so. It's um, um, At first I was like, mm, is this a prank? But anyway, it's it's a question. Okay. So I'll just read it. It's, this is from uh, Josh. And he asked, uh, so he said, our group is planning on implementing an ORT, an ongoing reliability test on a new product line. The plan is to mimic years of life through thermal acceleration. Does it make sense to use the Arrhenius model to calculate time needed to reach those simulated years or run the units to failure and calculate the MTTF? Hence the, I thought this was... They didn't really know who I was, I guess. But anyway, um, so I, I think they gave us an either or, and I, I don't think either option is all that good. But what do you think? Uh, I'm confused. It seems like one so ongoing reliability testing. Yep. Where they want to accelerate. Yeah. Which that, is that's not uncommon, but it it can be done. It's not. Can't, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not. It's not. Let's just call it not mainstream. Is that right. happy? Are we happy to say that? Um, so it's not mainstream. Yeah. And then the alternative to turning up the temperature to compress test duration using what, what I would classify as an acceler- accelerated live testing strategy is to test until failure to find the MTTF. Um, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, they're, they're different. Uh, that's very different. Um, structures in a way that i'm not sure can't see how they address the same question that needs to be answered <laughs> well they're just, right, let's back up that they're they're designing an, an ongoing reliability test and right so at that point it's the, i mean it goes way back to i think you often say it, it chris is that well what are you trying to learn what are you what are you what are you doing? You know, is it you're running the test just because? Well, I doubt it. It's pretty expensive to run this this right. kind of a test. And if it's on a whole product, um, that complicates it further, which is why I think you were t- saying that using accelerated testing is out of the mainstream for ORT because you mm-hmm. um, typically with a whole product, you've got hundreds, if not thousands of different potential failure mechanisms. Well, which one are you interested in? And do you really need to do an ORT to do that? Um, so it's, what are you trying to accomplish? And is it to, you know, monitor your production line to see if there's changes or deviations? And that complicates it again. Well, what element are you looking for that might change right. that would be adverse? Um, and I, I've run into people that will, will take, you know, their whole product and put it on the shelf and run it under various user conditions. We did this, uh, with inkjet printers, we being HP, not me. Uh, they had a whole room mm-hmm. full of these printers, racks and racks and racks of printers. And every week they would take, a, uh, uh, the oldest ones out and put another batch in. And I think they had like a five week rotation on it and some were running 
very heavy use, some were running very light use, and some were doing full color, some were doing just black and white, stuff like that. And the purpose was to find the early life defects, the things that would show up shortly after somebody put it into service. Right. Those manufacturing defects you can't easily, or sometimes you can't easily predict during design. Right. And it was relatively high volume. So they were looking for indications of something in the supply chain or in the manufacturing process that changed um, that would affect the early life of the product. And then they would, the theory was, is that if they found it before the customer did, then they had a chance to do something about it before production kept going. And the risk was, is that if they found it right at the five week mark, well, now they got a month of product out in the field. They got it. It's a different issue than if they found it on day one of setting it up on the test. And then they only have, Mm -hmm. you know, a couple of days or a week of production to, to handle. So the hard part with setting up run to failure type tests on ORT is well, how long is it going to take? <laughs> how much, if you find a, a fatal flaw and you took you six months to find it, well, now you got six months of production out there. Is that a risk you're willing to take? Mm-hmm. So I, I always, when designing the ORT, it's a balance of how, what are you trying to find? How fast do you need to find it so that you actually have a ability to recover from that, to do something about it? Because if we learn that all our products are going to fail two years earlier than they should, and you've already finished your production run, well, there's not a whole lot you can do about it now, except right. set up your warranty reserves. And, and I think it's just, a. Uh, it strikes me as if the person asking this question is is somewhat confused or the, or the organization that they're from. Is a little bit confused. Um, again, if you're even contemplating accelerated live testing, that means you have a pretty good handle on uh, one failure mechanism. It could be dendritic growth, or it could be uh, insulation deterioration, or rubber perishing, or things like that, which are mm-hmm. technically based on on temperature. Um, if I would not see a scenario where a very specific understanding of a failure mechanism would change from pre-production to post-production. For example, if you're if you're worried about corrosion, then an accelerated live test you do on a prototype should yield you very similar results to an accelerated live test you do on a final product for that particular failure mechanism. And again, most ongoing reliability testing, at least in principle, is to try and identify things you don't anticipate or uncover or. Well, there's a scenario yeah, where something you, to do you about. Yeah. It's, there's, there is scenarios where you have a, um, you know, especially going to mass production. If you're made a couple of hundred in development and now you're going to make thousands a day, uh, there's invariably going to be more variability and more mm-hmm. variances happening. And so, Setting up an ORT is a way to see if you've crossed any boundaries, if if you're measuring the right things and doing the right things to, to detect it. But I think there are scenarios where, yeah, we might know that this seal is good, but then what happens if it dimensions change too much? Now we have leakage. Ah, but there you go. There you go. That's, that's all of a sudden you've got an informed 
you're testing for something that's very specific in your mindset. I mean, right. Hewlett-Packard, you're looking for those manufacturing defects, which, you know, on the first production run, you're gonna you're going to have some. Um, once yep. you get, you know, high rate production, you all of a sudden you'll start learning how to dial in on a few on a few things. But mm-hmm. it sounds like you've got a purpose when you, okay, how do we test for a seal where the dimensions might change or or we yeah. might uncover that the the, the housing it, it is a uh, due to creep it's getting slightly bigger who knows yeah the hard part is is that using just temperature to you know accelerate the age of it um, has the unfortunate ability to make some failure mechanisms that are going to occur earlier um, not occur you know seals the materials around the seal or the seal itself uh, swells with temperature and seals Mm -hmm. better you know, it yeah. softens, does all these things. And then the ones in the field all start leaking. And so it's like, hmm, you got to be very careful about what accelerants to put in, unless you know what specific mechanism you're looking for. And it won't harm other things that you should be looking for. And that's the foresight we often don't have unless you do mm-hmm. really understand the product and where the risks are. So one of the ways I think to start an ORT is, is with, well, what is the areas of highest risk? What are the areas that the right. design team and everybody else and your, your risk assessment tools like FMEA, process FMEA, all those kinds of things say, we should watch this. And maybe it might be more than one thing, but um, before you pick the accelerant, um, you got to figure out what you're looking for. And many, many times ORT is done just in use conditions and a range of expected use conditions. Uh, but it really depends on what your purpose is. If it's if the types of things you're worried about really do take a long time to manifest themselves. And let's say you have a 10-year warranty on this thing and you really want to know if you're going to be at eight years instead, which would be you know, detrimental to your product and profitability. But it's a long time in the future, so accelerating that may well be the way to go. Um, although I would say, and I think you would agree, Chris, is you probably need to do that well before you start production. <laughs> yeah, there's a question you, I sort of ask a lot, and I think I use a question on um, I ask a question during these 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 podcasts is what what keeps you up at night? What's the things that are going to keep you up at night in terms of this thing going to fail? Sorry, in terms of this thing. And how it's going to fail once it's out in the field. Right. Um, if the answer is you don't know, then the, the problem is that you um, you uh, have already failed in a way because you haven't really taken reliability seriously, which is which means that you need to go back to the drawing board, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, to understand your system better. Um, that's the first thing. And if once you understand your system better, better, and you say, look, you know, the things we're most concerned about, uh, sure, we have uh, concern about defects during our first few production runs, which is a fair enough concern. So you can go and do ongoing reliability testing to address the areas where you think you're most likely going to have defects, and and how you pick them up. If part of your question, part of the questions uh, answered the question, sorry, about what's going to keep you up at night is uh, this seal over here or or this connector over here, it's just a solder joint and we can't use a, a, a socket for a number of reasons. And that's, that's we're, we're quite concerned about that and we need to see how it's going in the field. Fantastic. Now you're testing something. Um, but I, I sense by, the, by the, the scope of the question or the premise of the question that I'm at least informally smelling is that there's not a lot of that. We're just 
testing to do testing. I could be wrong. Yep. But we're just testing to do testing. That's what it, yeah, it's sounded like. And it's like, now, ORTs, I have run into one case where it was a very simple product and it was looking at, it was a medical device that had a um, titanium hinge, to lack of a better word on radio to describe it. I'm, I'm waving my hands around trying to draw it in the air here. Um, but, yeah, you almost poked me in the eye. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> you got it. I mean, it's just a hinge and it's going to flex and it's going to flex every time somebody was breathing. Um, so it was whatever the person's uh, respiration rate was, there would be that many flexes. And, and the things get, this thing was implanted, so it'd be there for a long time. And so they're saying it has to do like 40,000 or some 400,000 cycles or something like that. And they wanted to make sure that this, the hinge didn't break because inside the device was something that really shouldn't get outside the device, especially inside oh. a body, if that makes sense. So anyway, they were concerned about this. And as they started production, they didn't really do it as an ORT. They were looking at that as an accelerated test, but they were able to run it to failure uh, very quickly. They essentially just stuck it on uh, on the end of it to a drill that was rotating at amazingly high speeds and let it flex way more faster, <laughs> way faster than it would in a body. Um, right. I was a little concerned about heat buildup and stuff, but this thing just moved heat all over the place. It pretty much stayed ambient, even though it was whipping around. And right. It was amazing product, but it and they could get hundreds of thousands of cycles on it in a couple hours. And right. it was like, and they could run it to failure. And then once it failed, it was pretty obvious it failed. <laughs> it just fall apart. And right. so they, they were able to, to run to failure to evaluate the, you know, samples from their production line really fast. And right. that's an accelerated or T ish type thing I saw. And it was a destructive test. You know, you don't get that sample back. And it's the same with most ORTs. <laughs> is, yeah, you don't get them back. Oh, you'll get it back. It's just been pieces. Yeah. Uh, but, and it's not a burn-in. It's not like you're making, and I have the same issue with burn-in. You really need to know what you're looking for uh, so that you right. do discover it. But the the other part of this question is, well, should we just use Arrhenius because we're using temperature? Well, no. <laughs> what if it's a thermal cycling problem that's the stress you right. really need to use? What if it's a diffusion and it not really a chemical, you know, it's a, a creep, something like that. It's a material property of this thing that the uh, temperature, yeah, it's going to accelerate the creep, but it, Arrhenius is not really a good tool for that, you know, technically. What that's where it goes right back to where we started. What are you looking for? What's the mechanism? Right. And well, there's a related question. There's a related question that, that I ran into that I, I don't think will take a whole lot to do is, and it's the same vein as this question is we're setting up a test with an Arrhenius equation, uh, but we don't have an activation energy. So we use 0.7 or should we use 0.9 uh, <laughs> electron volts? You know, I'm like, which one would be more conservative? Well, both are wrong, <laughs> except for a yeah. random chance that you pick the right one, and you won't know. <laughs> but that answer is not helpful. So the, I suppose the more helpful answer for the uh, when you're trying to use an Arrhenius life model is that you always need to find your own activation energy, and that's really easy to do when you use 
three different temperature levels um, to conduct accelerated life testing. Yep. Is, uh, yep. Really, you can, don't even have to use any equations. All you need to do is, is plot the time to failure on an Arrhenius chart, and all of a sudden the line, if it's straight, means temperature's driving it, and yep. off you go. Yep. So anyway, it's yeah, you just, one, don't assume temperature is the universal accelerant. It's not. Two, if you're using... If you know it's a temperature that you need to use, don't assume an, an activation energy because you could nope. mislead yourself very quickly um, and get really bogus results. And three, if you got time in the particular mechanism you're looking for, um, yeah, you can run to failure. But what are you going to do with that? You know, it, right. is it going to fit within the guideline of, you know, do I have to wait four months to get results and then? What am I going to do if I have four months of units in the production in the field at risk? Am I going to recall them all? If you're not going to recall them all because you found something and repair and replace them all, um, and you're just going to let customers find the failures and deal with it later, then you don't need to do a test. <laughs> you know, right? It's it's uh, again, it's it, what's the decision you're trying to inform? Yeah, um, that's the one you say all the time. What's the decision you're trying to inform? Well, confidence is a measure of you. It's not a measure of the device. Right. And so when we're doing testing, we're trying to develop confidence in something. But our confidence, you know, represents our, it's, 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 not, it, it's not just uh, pride or... No, we're, we're sure that core. this unit is working. We sh we're sure that we assembled it correctly. We're sure that the design is, is adequate given the variation we see. Is that what you mean by its measure of us? Yeah. Well, yeah, there's, and there's two approaches. There's statistical confidence, which is where you do things like test until failure and and then and then try and you know match moments and identify if you can characterize the time to failure and blah, 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 blah. The, the, the problem with that is, I mean, that has a place. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we teach plenty of statistics. Um, one of the issues with that, though, is that's often after the fact, after you've made a decision about what your design's going to look like. Um, it's also based on you um, understanding exactly how the device is going to be used um, if you don't then your test environment will be wrong and therefore you're testing something else um but that's the statistical confidence we're talking about where you where you can use statistics to generate confidence bounds and other sorts of things to to uh for example assess the likelihood of you meeting your warranty reliability goal and that has a place yeah um but there's a way more important flavor of confidence which is the confidence of understanding so if you do a familiar or a fault tree analysis or you've done extensive halt to know uh, the answer to the question well, what are the top 10 things that are going to keep you up at night when we go to this thing failing mm -hmm. um, organizations who do this what do this well will be able to hypothetically say oh, okay when this thing fails, it's going to fail here, 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 and here, and eventually this is going to wear out first, and it's going to follow by this and followed by that. Um, and they'll also, if you poke a little bit further, they'll be able to say, well, the we had 120 things that were more important than this that we predicted early during familiar or fault tree analysis, and we designed them out of our system. We we made sure the stress concentration factor was minimised by rounding that radius. We ensured that we were using uh, sockets and joints and the critical uh, cables as opposed to just solder, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the 10 things they answered, they answered with you and uh, answered your first question with are actually the things that are left that they are comfortable with 
in regard to what the customer expects, they'll say. I mean, a good example I think you used in the past was, I don't know if you're going to remember it, I'll put you on the spot, was when you were talking about, I believe, solar panels or uh, or um, working with a, with a company to work out which supplier should be providing solar panels or solar generation mm-hmm. equipment, and you ca- called up a supplier um, to one supplier was sitting in the room at the time and they really didn't have good answers to you know, how's this thing going to fail then you called up another supplier somewhat randomly you know I said well how will yours fail and they said well if you use it in this situation it's going to eventually fail like this but if you use it in that situation it's going to eventually fail like that and they had That's ba- yeah and they had backup data that showed here's how we know this and here's the model right <laughs> like cool but that's that, but they actually, they had data, and data's just numbers, yep. but they're able to tell you how their thing is going to fail. Yep. And that is the sort of confidence which allows you to sleep very well at night. Yep, yep, well said. So anyway, the, you know, I, I, I responded to this question when I got it um, and, and hit a couple of these points, but we got a chance to expand it a bit here. And that's typical of what we do. If you're listening to this, is if you get a, have a question or something you're working on or something's coming up. It's not like you have to wait for the podcast to get your answer. Is you, we typically respond directly right away and right. try to get it more clarity of what's going on if it, it would help us give you a better piece of information. But the basic idea of Ascendo and to a large degree this podcast is to help you move forward, to make good decisions and support your products and, and production lines and so on in a meaningful way so that you you know, do good. And we all benefit from that. We have products that work, unlike some hooking up headsets by Bluetooth and on occasion, but that's a different story. And then, <laughs> <It's a laughs> sorry, <Chris>. story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so if you've got a question, you know, let us know. Head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. A couple of ways you can get in touch with us. And uh, Chris and I and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn and through our about pages. So plenty of ways for you to, to, you know, what's on your mind? What's keeping you up at night? And you would like a little input on. We're happy to do that. And it very likely will turn into a podcast at some point in time, too. So we're always looking for those kinds of questions for really two reasons. So anyway, with that, Chris, um, I got another question. So I'm anxious to get on the on the next episode with you uh, if, we've, if you still got time. Can't wait. All right. We'll talk to you soon, Chris. Cheers. Always a pleasure, Fred. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show. Please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.